So, yeah, so Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, lunchtime fellowship. Thank you for um, being able to share conversation with um, believers. Lord, it's such a, it is such a treat to do. And um, uh, thank you for it. Thank you that you put us into this sweet fellowship um, around your word and through your word and, and by your spirit and... And we thank you for it, Lord. Now as we go into this, um, this afternoon, Father, please keep, continue to speak to us. Keep us awake. Keep us alert. Focused on what it is you have for us. So that we can leave here able to honor you and to live for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I wanted to just ask you, if you would, to um, just pray for five minutes or so together. Um, maybe five, ten minutes, um, pray that you would have, um, oh my goodness, look at that rain, wow, <laughs> pray that you would have, that we would all have an increased desire for the Lord, um, I, I, that's not because you don't have desire, that's because you do and, and you want more, so um, please pray together for that, um, and also, you know, the thing is, there's something about saying that out loud, that is so liberating. <laughs> Lord, I'm not where I want to be. You know, please create this desire in me. Um, it is liberating to be able to do that, um, to, to speak it out one, with another. And that we would be hungry for the word, more hungry than we are already. Um, and that we would then have a desire to go out with this uh, desire for him and for his word and take that out in whatever way he wants us to take it out. I was having a conversation earlier and I've, it's been on my mind. I know the Lord's been bringing it to me such a lot recently in this, this idea that individually we cannot successfully, completely represent Christ. You can't. You want to, but you can't do it. We need each other because my weakness is your strength. My, your, and vice versa. Together, as family, we can more successfully represent Christ. That's why he's put us together. That's why he wants us in family. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Um, and, and, the, and the more we recognize that, I think the better we will represent him. So really to pray those two things, that we have a, um, a greater desire for the Lord, that we uh, would be hungry for his word, and that we would be able to, as we pray that together, be real about it and to ask the Lord to help us to go out and proclaim his presence um, in and through us, and, and that he would show us how to do that. And even to pray it means that you still think you don't know exactly, and that's a good thing, because you don't. <laughs> We need the Lord every moment of every day. No matter how well we know him, we still need him to show us the way. So um, just twos or threes or fives or sixes, just pray together. And if you don't know each other, you will after you've finished praying. <laughs> and if you do know each other, that's good. So I'll, I'll maybe let's say, what's the time now? Nearly 10 past. So maybe just before 20 past, we'll come back. So you got to know each other by praying with each other. I once, um, when I first moved to my village, forgive me if I've told you this before, but when I first moved back to England and I moved into my village and I went to the, local, the little parish church there in the village and met the six people who go there, um, I suggested one day after a couple of months that we get together and pray together. And they were absolutely horrified pray together, well, actually tell people, tell each other what's going on. <laughs> I said, yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? They just thought that was the worst suggestion ever, to actually share things that were going on in their families and lives. So, um, yeah, that was my introduction to English church life. So, um, and that's not meant as a... I know it's sad. I, it was funny, actually. I meant it to be funny because it, it, it is indicative, actually, of a lot of... Yeah, it's sad though, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you've been praying, you prayed for, for a greater desire and a hunger and all of those things. And um, the reason that you've prayed that is because you really want to do what the Lord's calling us to do, and that is to be ready. And if you didn't want to do that, you wouldn't pray. So if you sat silently and were kicking your heels, then um, um, 
I don't know, maybe you don't want to do that, but um, as a as a ministry and as a body, as, as part of the body of Christ, that's exactly what I think we need to be doing together, is moving forward and understanding on our own we can't do anything, but together, together, um, in, in Christ's strength, we can move mountains. And um, there's a lot of them out there. So, um, so for those who uh, have responded then, and those who are of us who want to move forward, uh, the question is, what are we going to do? Really, what are we going to do then? What, what are we going to do differently? And maybe you're already doing this, but I just wanted to look at some scripture to see, okay, what are we going to do? And what are we going to know as we do it? And so um, if you, you've got Bibles, so could you go to Jude, the, the short one-chapter letter that Jude wrote? And um, we're just going to walk through that a little bit. Not all of it, but some of it. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Paul, um, Jude writing, saying, I wanted to write and encourage you. I wanted to write a joyful letter to you, to the believers that he's writing to, but I couldn't do that. I wanted to write to you about the truth and the wonder of salvation, but I couldn't do that because certain people have crept into the church and they are turning God's grace into, um, into licentiousness, into um, the kind of permission to do whatever you want to do and they are denying Christ and he says these people have crept in what he means is they've come in undercover they're camouflaged um, they look like believers they sound like believers but whatever they're teaching and whatever they're doing they are uh, deceivers it's deception and Jude writes then to remind believers of the truth he wants to talk to them about the faith the truth that was once for all handed down to the saints. And he's expecting something from them when he does that. So he says, I, 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 I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. So um, when he talks to them in this letter about the faith that was once for all handed down, what's he expecting them to do? Yeah, he, he just take the phrase from the scripture. What, what is he expecting them to do? I felt it necessary to write to you to appeal that you contend earnestly for the faith. What does it mean to contend earnestly? Uphold. With enthusiasm. Fight. To contend is to actually make a stand, isn't it? It's to, it's to uh, it's, you know, take a place, to take a, a position and to contend for it, to speak for it, to move for it, to, to stand for it. And that's what he wants them to do. He wants them to do that earnestly. And now, I mean, when I first read that, a long time ago I read that, I thought, right, well, what do I do then, Lord? I'm going to pick up this and go here and go there and do this and do that and fight. And it's not until you read the rest of the letter you realise what he's going, to, he's going to tell them how to contend earnestly. And that's the interesting thing to me, actually, that the way he tells us to contend earnestly, the way God tells us, is nothing like the way I would do it. So... Um, uh, that's why I wanted to look at it. He's expecting them to respond to the truth that he gives them. That's the thing. He's expecting them to respond to the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. Um, what is the faith, then, that was once for all handed down to the saints? Because it's not your faith or my faith. It's not uh, faith. He calls it the faith. Yes, it includes the gospel. That's definitely true. It includes the gospel. But what else? What is it? What is, if you had to say, what is the faith that was handed down to the saints once for all? Once for all. 
what what is the faith? Yes, it's the gospel message. It is the gospel that Christ lived and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected and so we can find salvation in him. But that's not all it is, is it? Because this is the faith that was handed down once for all and I want you to contend earnestly for this. So yes, it's the gospel, but it's for the extended gospel. The gospel isn't isn't simply that Jesus lived and died and was buried and resurrected, although that's the core of it. It is also all the ramifications of that, yes, about the kingdom of God and about the church and about how we live. It's the whole body of truth about that comes out of the gospel. And that's what we are to contend for, the body of truth. Now, where are we going to find that whole body of truth? In Scripture. You can only find it in Scripture can only find it there. And that's what we're to contend for, the faith, the faith that was handed down to the saints. You see, you had to have faith to receive the faith, but the, the faith is not faith itself. It's, it's the truth, the body of truth about Jesus. And Jesus is not confined in the gospel. He is God. He was the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. He is the great, sovereign, most high God because he is part of Trinity. So therefore, he is all things that God is. So the faith includes that. Exactly. He's the promised Messiah. He's, he's, he's sovereign. He's healer. He's... He's uh, all-powerful, all-sustaining, almighty God. He is all of those things. He is the redeemer, the saviour. God says in the Old Testament, there is no saviour but me. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm the saviour. So he is all of those things, and that's the faith. That's the faith. Everything about Jesus, everything about this God that we worship, that is the faith that we are to contend earnestly for. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, uh, the ability to believe comes from God. Um, we might disagree on the f- whether that's given to each people individually or whether that's generally made possible. I am not a Calvinist in any way, shape, or form, so I do not believe that God chooses individual people. I believe that he makes possible choice to believe. And then when you believe, he has chosen that you be sanctified and made holy. So, yeah, but yes, I agree. He made possible faith. But that's not what Judah's writing about. He's writing about the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. So it's important that we know what that is. And it's important that we understand some things about it. He says once for all handed down to the saints. When was it handed down? Hmm? Maureen, I can't hear. Sorry, I know you're speaking, but because I can see your mouth move, but I can't hear. What are you saying? Uh, when Jesus is yes, when he's resurrected. Yes, yes. But what's the, the, if it's the faith, if it's everything about Jesus, when was that handed down to the saints? Through Paul, through the, through the New Testament writers, through the New Testament writers. It's not that he's not in the Old Testament, but definitely it's the revelation of Christ to the New Testament writers. Of course, it's in the prophecy. I'm not saying he's not there in the Old Testament, but what I mean is the faith, the Christian faith, is contained. It's talked of in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, but it's contained in the New. And so it's that that we're contending for. So... Um, when he says it was once for all handed down, what does he mean? So it's, it's the faith. There's no, other way. There's no other way and? There's no more new information. There is no more new information. What we have in scripture is it. That's it. And the heresy has been from the very beginning that there's more. The Gnostics used to say you had to have higher knowledge. And so the, even, even when we talk about, in, in our language, when we talk about and we revere people who know 
God or who appear to know more about the word. In a way, what we're saying is it's not possible for me to know those things. But the whole Bible says it is totally possible for you to know everything about God. You are to know this faith. There's nothing new. If someone comes up and stands up in the front of church and says, I've just been given a new vision from the Lord, you know that is not possible if it contradicts anything that is in Scripture. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new to be learned. There's no higher knowledge. So the, the faith is the full and complete revelation of God through Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells, tells us that, that God in the last days in many different ways and in many portions he spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, he has spoken to us in his son. That's the full and complete revelation. So he's going to go on in his letter, uh, Jude, to talk about some, some things that happened in the Old Testament. He mentions Jude. Um, and he's going to describe for us what's going to happen to those people. It was about those, verse 14, that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And again, Jude is writing into the professing church. Do you recognize yourself? Grumblers, finding fault, following your own lust, speaking arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of advantage. I mean, hopefully you're going to say no to all of that. But he's writing into this and he's trying to say to them, we're to contend earnestly for a faith that was given to us, that was handed down to us. And it's important that we know what it is, that we know nothing new can be added, and that we know that there is going to be a day when Jesus will come with his godly ones and will judge those who did not... Um, who did not do that. He's going to return and he's going to judge. God will not be mocked. Paul says it in Galatians, that you reap what you sow. So then he tells us about that situation and he tells us what we can do about it. How do we contend earnestly? So look at verse 17. How do we contend earnestly? What's the beginning of contending earnestly? We remember the words of the apostles. Where do we find the words of the apostles? In the word. We find it in the word. So we remember the word. When, what is it, when, when Jude writes remember, what does he mean? What does the word remember mean? Yeah, bring back to your memory. It's actually got more, more of a... No, that's true, but what, it's got a bigger definition than that. When God uses the word remember in the Old Testament... He talks about, I don't remember your sins anymore, right? I will not remember your sins. What he means is, I will not act upon your sins anymore. In the remembering, there's a uh, talk of acting upon. So when you remember the apostles' words, it's not just so that you bring them to your mind, although that's what you do, but it's that you act upon what you read. So the first thing Jude says, verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So we are to remember that they said that, that there are going to be these people, and we are to remember what's true about them, what's true about these people. He says they're mockers, they're scoffers, and what else? They don't have the spirit. They are devoid of the spirit, which means what? Not saved, not born again. They are not born again, they are not saved. How do you know it means that? Yeah, 
Because we talk a lot about the Spirit, you know, and about being filled with the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit. And some people don't believe in baptism in the Spirit. Some people do on and on, backwards and forwards. But, you know, it is not possible to be a Christian without the Spirit of God. You are not a Christian if you don't have the Spirit of God. Hmm? No, that's right. But, but how do we know that? How do we know? How can I stand here and you're nodding and saying, yes, that's true. You're not born again if you don't have the Spirit. How do you know that's true? Yeah, no, before that. How do you know? No, before that. How do you know that that's true? Yeah, where does it say so? Yeah, but particularly it says so in John 3, verse 3. Jesus says, you must be born again. And then when you're born again, you are born again by the Spirit. You must be born again. If you are not born again, you do not have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you are not born again. That's not you sitting in judgment on anybody else. It's actually what Jesus says and what the Bible says. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not a child of God. If you do have the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. Um, Okay, so he says, these people have crept in unnoticed. They're not believers. They must look like believers, because he says they've crept in unnoticed. And what are they, so what must they be doing? Just move this to our day. What do you think they're doing in our day? Destabilizing. Great word, yes. Yes, that is a great word. It should be in the scripture. It is, it's a great word. Causing division, causing upset. Yeah, all of that. Huh? Legalists, all, all the things we don't like, yes. But, but what, are they act, what, what might they look like in our churches? There you go. They speak the word. They do. They speak the Christian words. They can speak the Christian words. They can sing the songs. They can pitch up every week. They close their eyes when they pray. And sometimes when they sing. They do all the things that believers do. And that's why Jude says they, they've crept in unnoticed. They've crept in unnoticed. Why are they unnoticed? Because they look just like us. They look the same. So they look like believers. They sing like believers. They pray like believers. But at the end of the day, they are devoid of the Spirit. How will we recognize that they're devoid of the Spirit? Yes. Yes. Oh, I see, yes, yes. In their actions, you mean, in the way that they are, yes, outwardly. Yes, eventually you will recognize them by their lack of the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. You will eventually recognize them because of the words that come out of their mouth, because out of the heart comes the words of your mouth. So you will eventually recognize them by the fact that they lack grace, they lack joy, they lack peace, they lack mercy, they lack compassion, they lack all of those things. Now, yes. Yes. Yes, you have, exactly. There's no connection by the Spirit. Yeah. So Jude tells us that we are to contend uh, with these people, actually, with how they are and with what they're teaching. But he tells us how to do that. Because, you see, are we, are we going to turf them out? You know, because actually, to be honest, on any given day, you could think I was lacking in grace and mercy. And, you know, so hopefully we're not judging everybody on one day's thing, because we're all out, if that's true. But so over the course of time. But, but, but well, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, no, before that. Are we to fight them? We're not to fight them. Why not? Yeah, but, but yeah, we're not, we're not there yet. We will be soon, Mike, but we're not quite there yet. So, but first of all, how are, well, first of all, how are we going to recognize them? Yeah, and so the, the Holy Spirit will give us discernment. They will, st yeah, they will we'll start to recognize that they're the tears, but we'll only recognize them when we see in ourselves a change, i.e. we're becoming more gracious, we're becoming more loving, we find joy and peace within ourselves and not uh, all the other stuff. These people have crept in unnoticed. You won't notice these things. 
You won't notice a lack of these things until you start to see a growth in these things in yourself. How will you find the growth in you? Yeah, by getting closer to God. So the closer you are to God, the more easily you will recognize someone who is not as close as you, and then you'll start to pray for them and ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment if he hasn't already. And so that process will begin. What do you call that process? <laughs> yeah, yes, not, it's just a bit quick, that's all. <laughs> yes, it is that. But the process of knowing who they are, it's true, that is it. What do you know about these people, first of all? I mean, you know lots of things. That's a bad question. Okay. What is the underlying thing you know about these people who have caused division, who are causing upset, who are causing arguments, who are not, not over time showing the grace of God, etc., etc.? What do you know about them? They're not saved. Yeah, I know. That's a good answer. It is a good answer. It's not the answer on the card. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Don't quote scripture, Mike. Honestly, you'd think this was a Bible thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Sounds good. The one thing I want you to say to me is that God knows exactly who they are. He knows exactly who they are. And God is the one who will vindicate you and deal with them. So all of the judgment is left to him. All of the whatever we do with them is left to him. All of it is left to him. We don't have to actually do anything about that person. Exactly. We just have to love as an outpouring of his work in us. So we're not, you know, we face opposition. We face division. Some of us more than others and at different times more than others. And, and everything in you when you're facing opposition is screaming at God, can you just let me speak to this person? Can you just let me vindicate myself? Can you just let me say this to them? Because if they just knew this, then they wouldn't be opposing. And all the time God's saying, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will vindicate you. You won't vindicate yourself. You cannot answer all the opposition. You can't make right all the division. You can't fix everything everything in your sphere. All you can fix is your relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's the only thing. And as you do that, you start to understand, yes, I can't fight every battle. I can't make right. I can't stop people opposing me. I can't, I can't, I, I just can't be all of that. It's hard enough for me to be right with you. That's what contending earnestly begins with, me being right with the Lord. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, yes and no. So if someone's not... See, one of the things I find mostly when I'm f facing opposition is that the people who are opposing me are not opposing me to my face. They're just opposing me out there. So now, if we're going to do the same thing, i.e. say, well, that person's not, not preaching the gospel, so I, let me tell you what the gospel is because they are not preaching it. That's like opposing me, isn't it? What we need to do is, if the person's not preaching the gospel, is to go, first of all, to pray, and then to go and say to them, my understanding of the gospel is this. Maybe, um, maybe you've got a different understanding. Maybe we could sit down and talk about that. Maybe, you know, because one thing we can't be is the same as them. So we have to be full of love and grace and mercy and compassion. And we can't... It's not our job to fight everybody. It's our, our job to be right with the Lord and speak and live truth. I realize it's hard, Jenny. That's the hardest thing because it's much easier just to say, there's talking rubbish, come and listen to me. That's the easiest thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's when we talk about the gospel, it isn't simply that Jesus lived, died, buried, resurrected. I don't mean to do the gospel down because that is what we're saved by. But it's so much more than that. It's it's what happens to someone who believes that 
and how that how that goes and how the spirit does. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. And you're not wrong, Jenny. I'm not saying you're wrong to say, because of course we do in some way have to face that up and say, but I think that the way we do it speaks about our relationship with the Lord. And I think sometimes we don't do well with that. Um, I remember um, I had a pastor, and uh, I, I knew he loved God, and I knew he loved the Word, so it wasn't, it wasn't um, that he was preaching wrong things. It was just that every time he preached, when he first preached, I could find two or three things that I just didn't agree with, and I thought he was wrong. And so I would kind of chat to him yeah, nicely and say, well, you know, I thought this, and show him the Scripture, and... And over time, I realized that what God was doing to me was expanding my knowledge so that I wasn't just thinking like this, which was the way my mind was taking me. I was managing to think like this and like this, and I was seeing more of the diamond. So this preacher was seeing one side of a diamond, one facet, and I was seeing the other. And together, we were starting to get a picture of who Christ is. But until I got that understanding, I was intent on the fact that he was wrong. (laughs) And I was right. Thank you. It's, it's God's. It's what He gave me. That He's a diamond. You know, the the faith that we contend for is a is a diamond, isn't it? And there's so many facets. Um, so we are to um, understand that God will judge, and that He has described, shown us who they are, so that we recognise them. But our main responsibility in it all, we start from verse 17. Jude tells us, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying that these people would come. But you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So, what does he mean praying in the, in the spirit? He says we are to build ourselves up on our most holy faith and he says we are to do that in specific ways. And the first way he says is praying in the spirit. Well, he's saying that we're building ourselves up on our most holy faith. So one, and the first way he talks about that is that we pray in the Spirit. There's a lot of confusion about praying in the Spirit, isn't there? Because it's difficult. Does he mean praying in tongues? Well, not everybody has the gift of tongues. Does he mean, um, yeah, what, what does he mean by praying in the Spirit? The Lead, that he leads. Yeah, that you're praying by, under the lead of the Holy Spirit. He's guiding and directing your prayers. How will you do that? You know, hey, you'll ask him, exactly, you'll ask him. You'll say, Lord, I don't know how to pray about this person, and I don't even know if they are, you know, in deception. So would you lead my prayers? Would you show me how to go on? What happens when you do that? God does. Yeah, he does. He leads you into all truth. What else happens? You start to realize some truths about yourself, and that is that you don't have perfect understanding about other people, that you don't really know exactly where they are, that you haven't walked in their shoes, you don't know what their faith is like, you don't even know anything about it. What you're trying to do is, is, is fix something that maybe doesn't even need fixing. You're just taking your own impression and going on from that. So what you're asking him to do is lead and direct and guide your prayers so that you know how to pray for them. And as you do that, the end result is that you're building yourself up. You're building yourself up. Okay, so as the Spirit leads, what's the second thing you do? Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, what's the next thing you do? Keep yourself in God's love. If ever there was a difficult sentence, it's that one. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? And what does that mean? 
I know it's after lunch, difficult ones, isn't it? See, we're a bit tired. Yeah, be humble, definitely. That's, that's part of it. What does the word keep mean? Guard, protect, maintain, watch over. So what he's saying is you can't put yourself in the love of God. And actually, if he wants you out of the love of God, you're out because he's God. But what he's doing, he's saying is you're in the love of God. Watch over yourself. Maintain that. Keep everything, you know, in working order. Go ahead. Yes, exactly. But there is a responsibility for us, and that is to watch over and maintain and, and guard and protect and all of those things. In the love of God, how will we best do that? Yes, as you wait. And waiting for him to lead, what is that a type of? Hmm? No, it is, yeah, but what, what does it show about you? Yeah, <laughs> patience. Obedience. Hannah, where are you? You're right on my page. Obedience. Def- I think that's a bit of a worrying thing, actually. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Obedience. It's a sign of obedience that you take these scriptures seriously. Lord, I don't know how to pray for these people. I don't know how to speak to them. I don't even know if you're trying to talk to me first. So just, I'm going to concentrate on maintaining and watching over and and protecting myself, my faith, my living in your love. I'm grateful for your love. I'm going to do everything I can to live in that love. And the way that I do that is doing what you tell me to do, obeying what I read. And as I wait on the Lord to show me by his spirit, that's a form of obedience, isn't it? What's the the last thing, the third thing he says? Uh, no, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. And then the last thing, waiting anxiously for, yeah, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. It's an unfortunate translation, anxiously, because it's eagerly. It means eagerly, eagerly watching for um, Christ's return. How is that different to the ones who have crept in unnoticed? How did Jude describe the ones who have crept in unnoticed? He's called them scoffers, mockers. What are they mocking and scoffing? A, the, yeah, the truth, but specifically what might that be? Yes, Jesus' second coming. <laughs> Because Jesus' second coming is, is involved in what? When Jesus comes again, what is that? The, it's the end. It's judgment. And that's what they're mocking. They're mocking the notion of judgment. They're scoffing at the notion of judgment. Jude writes what Peter wrote, and they're both of them looking right back to Noah's time when they were mocking and, and scoffing the fact that there would be judgment coming. There you go, yeah. Yeah. That's because we're covered in grace and there's no, yeah. And it's an uncomfortable subject, yeah. So, um, so we're supposed to be uh, praying in the Holy Spirit, learning, living the Bible, waiting and eagerly anticipating Christ's return. And that's what Jude calls building yourself up on your most holy faith. What will happen when you build yourself up on your most holy faith like that? You're praying in the Holy Spirit, you're, you're living the word, you're learning, you're wanting to obey, you're surrendering, you're asking the Lord, you're watching over your obedience, you're watching over your life. What's going to start to happen in your life? There you go, there you go, yeah. And that's what the Bible calls living victoriously. You will have the most wonderful experience of working in partnership with God. You will find victory in your Christian life. Victory over what? Over circumstances? Over, over sin in your life? Over what else? Over fear? 
over anxiety, over temptation, over... Um, yeah, the list is endless. You will find victory in those things because not that you've concentrated on those things, but that you have concentrated on building yourself up on your most holy faith. And that's what we don't want to do. We want to fight the battles without building ourselves up to do it. Because we think that we've got to fight all the battles, but actually it's God who's going to fight those battles and we are just going to be built up and built up and built up. Have you, are you afraid of something? The only way to overcome fear is to know Christ more. Are you anxious all the time? The only way to stop being anxious is to know Christ more. Are you in situations that are out of control? The only way through is to know Christ more. To build yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. uh, Keeping yourself in the love of God. And waiting eagerly for his return. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to concentrate on the core. And that's why the enemy will do whatever he can to take us away from the core. Whatever he can do. We have got a million different things inside the church that are all good things. But they all take us away from the core. Because they work on the assumption that it's what we do out there that's the important thing. It's what we do in here that is important. And then it's God who takes us out there and does that. You're not much good to me if you're afraid all the time. Sorry, but you're not. You're not much good to me if you're anxious about situations. You're actually not much good to me if you're afraid of Brexit. Because, you know, Brexit's going to come and Brexit's going to go. And, and actually, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We don't belong here. We belong there. I'm not saying these things are not important. I'm not saying we're not supposed to know what's going on. We are. But we are to understand that we belong to another kingdom, that we're going to a, we have got heavenly citizenship. It's not that. We're not to be involved in issues in our day. We are. But you're no good to anybody if you're not strong in your faith. You're no good to anyone if you haven't built yourself up. Because what people need more than anything else is to see Jesus in us. They need to see Jesus. Mm. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And and I my my thing would be how do you fight the good fight of faith? How do we fight that? It's, and it, I think that Paul saying to Timothy just what Jude's saying here: you build yourself up on your most holy faith. And the thing is, we can't do that alone. I need you to do that with me. I need you to help me build myself up. I need you to talk to me about keeping myself in the love of God because I don't automatically understand how to do that. I need you to come alongside me. I prayed with Alex earlier, and I, I, I don't know if I've prayed, I must have prayed with you before, Alex, but I was, you know, kind of, I just thought, wow, I, I need to be praying with Alex a lot more, you know, because he was praying, he, he was talking to the Lord. And, and, and I was benefiting from that. And I need to be around people like that. And so do you. We need to be, a, I mean, not all around Alex, because he can't take the whole, <laughs> all of us there. But you know what I mean? We need each other. We have to, we have to understand we need each other. And, and that's the way we build ourselves up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Definitely. 
Exactly. And I think that's key. Honestly, Kate, I think that's just key to everything. Yes, we're to build ourselves up individually, but we are also to build each other up together. So build yourselves up. Yourselves is plural. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. And, um, and then as he, he says that when we've done that, we are able to make a difference. Because he says, look, this is what's going to happen when you've done all of this. You are going to be able to have mercy on some who are doubting. You are going to be able to um, snatch people. Doesn't he say, look, have mercy on some who are doubting? Who would be doubting? Who'd be doubting? Who's that? Is that somebody from the two and nines? <laughs> that shows my age, the two and nines. Yeah, I know. Shush, shush. Um, yeah, sort of. But, but basically, Jude's talking within the church. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. People going through a trial and they're asking themselves, where's God then? I thought he was supposed to make my life better and he's not. Where am I? So they're doubting. They're doubting something about the faith that was once for all handed down. And because there are false teachers around, they're getting hit by stuff that's not true. And so they're doubting. And so doubt is not sin. It isn't sin. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is an issue of your mind. Unbelief is sin. Doubt is just you trying to weigh things up because you don't fully understand Unbelief is when you say, I will not believe. Doubt is, is a normal human thing. It's probably quite good for us to go through the process of it. Um, so have mercy on some. How will you have mercy? What is mercy? Loving kindness, yeah. Love. It's, it's extending help. Mercy in and of itself is not anything, actually. It's just pity, and that's a different word. Mercy is the act of doing something. God had mercy on us, which means he sent Jesus. So it's an action. So when you have mercy on someone, you actually do something about it. If you have pity for someone, you just look at their situation and think how terrible that is. But having mercy is when you actually do something. Have mercy on some who are doubting. How would you show mercy to someone who's doubting? Encourage them how? By building them up in their most holy faith. You'd be coming alongside and saying, yeah, I really struggled with that myself. And it was really tough. And as Trelane says, yeah, you know, you're going through this situation. I didn't go through exactly that situation, but I remember a time when this happened, and I was really thrown for a loop. But God did this, or he says this, or here's this word, or shall we pray together, or whatever. Have mercy on some who are doubting. What's the next thing? Snatch others. Um, snatch others out of the fire. Who are the ones who are in the fire or close to the fire? I th well, I don't think you can't lose your salvation. So, but I think there are people who are walking towards the fire and are almost in it. Do you know what I mean? And so you're going to snatch them up from the flames that are actually threatening to engulf them. I think so. I think so. Or they're not believers, but then they're heading the wrong way. And so Jude says, snatch them. And then the last group, hating even the garment of fear. Have mercy with fear. What's intrinsic in that statement, hating even the garment of... Yeah, yeah. I think also what he might mean is that we're all able to be deceived. There is no one in this room who can't be deceived. We can be deceived. That's why we need each other. That's another reason we need each other. I want you to tell me if I go off on a tangent... And it takes me to a place that you think is wrong. I want you to tell me that. I want you to make sure that you snatch me from that fire. Um, so, just before we're going to break and have tea and cake, and then we'll come back for a very short um, last session. Um,
Think about Noah and his life. Think about it. It took, the, it took him over 100 years to build the ark, probably in a place that had never seen rain. I mean, talk about mocking. <laughs> you know, I mean, and his, the way that the Bible describes him is that his life was his message. His building the ark was his message. Hebrews tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. But, but also, his building the ark was his preaching. You're building yourself up on your most holy faith. You're building ourselves, you know, our working together on that is us building an ark. We are building an ark together. And we are building the ark so that people come into salvation. And our building is the message. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's the fact that we are building together that is the message. There's no other reason for people, disparate people like us to love one another than Christ. He is the only reason that I like you. I'm saying that, just waking you up. No, I mean, you're all lovely people. I'm only kidding, you know that. But I have to do that because you're falling asleep. Everyone's falling asleep. So we're going to have cake in two minutes, but... That's the most important thing. Can I just mention stickability? <laughs> now, would you say that in this room? I know, but we're 30 odd here, so it's got to be more than eight. <laughs> no, but that, yeah, it is. But what I mean by it is, it, it's not all the running around. And Noah, I'm sure Noah didn't, he didn't have time for anything else but to build the ark. He, he just had to get up every morning for 100 years and build. You know, you've seen the models of that. You've seen a model of that ark, haven't you? Online, you can see it's an amazing, amazing structure. And it was just him and his sons. So he, every part of him was involved in, in doing that in a time when they hadn't had rain and when there was absolutely no reason to believe that it was going to happen except God. You and I together... We are building an ark. And it takes every ounce of our strength and every atom of our focus. And we, each of us are building our part of it in a different way. But we're building together. So build yourself up on your most holy faith and eat cake and drink tea. And then we'll come back in about 10 minutes or so. Yeah.